And all right, can you see my uh, slides? Yes, sir, we can. Okay, very good. Thanks. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all again here. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I uh, as I think about uh, our meeting online like this, and then also missing our meeting in per person. One of the things that I really miss about uh, gathering together in person is uh, being able to sing hymns together, being able to praise the Lord together in song. And as you know, I really like that. And I miss being able to do it together with all the brothers and sisters uh, and, and with the church assembled. I know we can sing at home, and we do, but um, it's nice to do it when we get together. Now, I don't know uh, when for sure, you know, we'll all be able to gather again. I'm thinking maybe a couple of weeks, but we'll have to kind of see about that, won't we? Uh, and of course, each family is going to have to make decisions. But uh, and then I don't know if we'll be able to sing then. I don't know if I will be able to sing with a mask on. But uh, we'll see all about that all later. But you know, I was thinking about hymns this morning. And so I thought about uh, him and I, I'm not going to sing it for you. So I don't think music works well in this in this uh, platform, but I'll, I'll read you some of these words. You know, it's not a hymn. We wouldn't sing this one if we were gathered over at the church house because it's not in the hymn book that we use. It's in this hymn book. So the title of this hymn is Thy Holy Spirit, Lord Alone. I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read uh, a couple of verses. Okay, here we go. Thy Holy Spirit, Lord, alone can turn our hearts from sin. His power alone can sanctify and keep us pure within. O Spirit of faith and love, come in our midst, we pray, and purify each waiting heart. Baptize us with power today. Thy Holy Spirit, Lord, can bring the gifts we seek in prayer. His voice can words of comfort speak and still each wave of care. Thy Holy Spirit, Lord, can give the grace we need this hour. And while we wait, O Spirit, come in sanctifying power. O Spirit of love, descend, come in our midst, we pray. And like a rushing mighty wind, sweep over our souls today. Well, anyway, I thought that, that it is a good one. And, and uh, I was thinking about it this morning. And it's apropos to our topic that we're going to be ta talking about, Gifts of the Spirit. And it's just apropos to the Christian life and everything we try to do. The Lord Jesus said, without me, we can do nothing. He said, without, he said, without me, you can do nothing. So without him, we can do nothing. And um, even so, you know, without his help today, um, certainly this class uh, can't be successful. So I want to uh, let's go to prayer now and, and ask the Lord to help us today. Our Father, we thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit that you've given to every believer. We thank you that he helps us and uh, can be with us always and comes alongside to help. We thank you for that. We pray that you would, uh, through your Holy Spirit, help us today and uh, make this time of Bible study a successful one in accomplishing what you have for us today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good. Let us then begin. So we move on to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And our topic throughout the whole chapter is going to be the use of spiritual gifts. 
Now, you can divide this into two segments, and the first one is the one that I'm going to try to cover this morning. That's the one source of spiritual gifts, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's in verses 1 through 11. So fortunately, I have a little bit of a shorter segment to cover this morning, and maybe I'll be able to actually do it and get through it. The uh, rest of the chapter, verses 12 through 31, is devoted to the many spiritual gifts or the multiplicity of spiritual gifts. So many gifts, one source, one source, many gifts. So we're going to look at the first 11 verses today, and I will read them now. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. One of the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Okay, now to go verse by verse. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. The commentators, or at least uh, some of them, uh, seem to believe that this kind of looks from the text here as if the Corinthians had sent Paul a question about this. Remember, they sent him a delegation, possibly a letter of their own, uh, in which they made some inquiries. And so apparently they had inquired about spiritual gifts. So that says something good about them that they... they uh, felt the need to ask about this. Uh, they say there are no uh, foolish questions except the ones you don't ask. Well, I don't know. Maybe impertinent questions are foolish, but this is absolutely a good question. And this is a subject on which he did not want them to be ignorant, and we should not be ignorant either. Verse 2 says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. So during their time, being pagans, they were led first one way and then another by false spiritual leaders. Their idols were mute. Statues don't say anything, do they? They're just uh, dumb, mute uh, idols. But the false spiritual leaders had plenty to say, which is the way with false spiritual leaders, um, for sure. And uh, leading one way and then another. And you can see that when you look at different uh, false spiritual leaders today. Unfortunately, many of them are abroad in our country today and, and elsewhere in the world. And many of them claim to speak for the one true God, but they don't speak according to his word. And uh, they have a lot to say. They um, have, you know, first one way and then another, and then they're saying this, then God said that, and he didn't say any of those things. Well, we don't want to be subject to them. We don't want to be uh, tossed to and fro and carried about by the deceit of man, cunning craftiness about where they, where which they lie in wait to deceive. So we need to have some discernment. So he gives in verse 3 here 
uh, a basic test for knowing uh, who is speaking truly uh, in the Lord's name and who's not. So he says in verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think this is absolutely all and everything that we need to know about discernment and about how to discern true prophets from false ones, but it's a start. Sometimes in some fields, they'll refer to a, a, a real basic test as a quick and dirty test, and I don't want to call this that because it's the Word of God. So it's, it's quick, it's not dirty, but just a quick uh, test right away. Um, it's a basic test for those who claim to speak on behalf of God. No one who condemns the Lord Jesus is prompted by the Holy Spirit. And right away, one of the marks of a cult, of a cult leader, is that uh, he makes the Lord Jesus to be something less than what he really is, uh, which is the Son of God, very God and very man. And someone who presents the Lord Jesus as not being that way is not of God. Uh, someone who would curse the Lord Jesus or who would denounce him or condemn the Lord Jesus, they're not of God. They're not led by the Holy Spirit. You can mark that down. And then anyone who says that Jesus is Lord is prompted by the Holy Spirit, at least in saying that. Now, I suppose it would be possible for a person to say that, but to be someone who designs to deceive us. I don't know. I guess in the saying of that, he would have to be prompted by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting when you think about it, thinking about sort of false leaders and false messiahs that people follow after. Um, you don't really hear them saying that. So anyway, okay. On to the next three verses, which go together very much. They're short and they go together. So verses four, five, and six. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So there are different spiritual gifts. And as I mentioned before, we're going to be the text is going to take us back and forth, contrasting multiplicity of gifts, unity of the spirit in various ways. Well, there are different spiritual gifts, but all given by the Holy Spirit. There are different ways of serving diakonion. That's uh, the same word from which we get the root of our word deacon. That is one who serves God's people. And uh, so uh, there are different ways of serving God's people. And they're all given for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and then these various spiritual gifts produce different kinds of effects. They don't all do the same thing, but they're there for the same purpose, of course, uh, ultimate, ultimate purpose. And it is God who is working in all of them. Now, notice that the Trinity is present here in these three statements. So uh, we have the Trinity here working as one. We have the Father, the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit in these three verses as the authors, the givers, the bestowers of the spiritual gifts. In verse 7, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
So all spiritual gifts are given for the good of the church. I think this is clearer and easier to understand than the King James translation. And in this, I think, even for those who are pretty conversant with uh, uh, Jacobean English, um, the King James says uh, to profit with all instead of for the common good. And to profit with all means to profit by it. And uh, that could possibly mislead that translation could. This makes it clear that these spiritual gifts are given for the good of the church. So they're not given, these spiritual gifts that we're talking about are not given just to help the individual believer, uh, just to help you on toward God and to help you to know the Lord better and to help you to enjoy him better and so forth. That's not what these are. Now, does God give things that are just to help you know God better and get on better in your Christian life? Yes, of course. That's the grace that he gives us, God's enabling power, working in the heart of the believer to make him able to uh, live in a way pleasing to God. That's grace. Here we're talking about spiritual gifts, and these are gifts for the church. So all the spiritual gifts are given for the good of the church. They're not given, certainly not, for the glory of the person who has them. And uh, God helps someone who would exercise or try to exercise a spiritual gift for his own glory, much less his own pecuniary profit, that is money, right? No, that would be, um, that would be very bad. And I, I think in a case like that, I don't think God would allow that. I think he would withdraw that spiritual gift if a person's going to use it for the wrong or purpose or was using it for the wrong purpose. Just what I, I, I just think so. But anyway, spiritual gifts are definitely given for the good of the church. That's for sure. Okay. Verse eight. For no one is, excuse me, try that again. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit. Okay. So here are spiritual gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. So first we have the ability to express the message of God's wisdom in the gospel of Christ. Wisdom has more to do with application of knowledge to actual life. And you've heard, and, and there are a number of good ways you can define wisdom, but generally somewhere in there it's going to have to do with applying uh, our knowledge of truth, of God's truth, truth as it is in Christ, to our life, to how we live, to what we do. So the word of wisdom, and this apparently is, you know, applying the knowledge of, of God through the Holy Spirit uh, to, and, and telling people, proclaiming people, the word of wisdom, telling people how to apply that to their lives. For example, to be saved. Okay. And then uh, the ability to communicate knowledge by the Spirit. So this is, you know, apparently uh, second to that, the idea of communicating knowledge. Now, another thing about spiritual gifts is they're not to be confused with natural gifts or natural abilities. A person could have a natural uh, ability to uh, learn uh, knowledge and to convey knowledge to others. But that person might not even be born again. And of course, he would therefore not have a spiritual gift at all. And, but he might have a natural ability in that direction. Now, that wouldn't be the same 
that would not be the same as having a spiritual gift of knowledge, of, of a word of knowledge. This is something special. This is something more and better, uh, a special uh, Holy Spirit given and Holy Spirit enabled ability to convey knowledge uh, through the Holy Spirit to God's people, you know, through the word, through the spoken word, of course. Yes. Okay. Um, this knowledge is a knowledge of God's way of salvation through the cross as taught in scripture. And then, you know, of all that comes with that, all, uh, the, the complete unpacking of that, right? And it's likewise the wisdom too. This is not any secret heretical teaching such as the Gnostics claimed or uh, any special revelation from God about earthly matters or any special revelation of God about uh, doctrine. Okay, so uh, a genuine word of knowledge according to the Holy Spirit, the real thing. This is not some special divine revelation that reveals doctrines not taught in scripture. No, that's not of God. Or that reveals, God forbid, doctrines contrary to scripture, that modifies or changes uh, doctrines taught in scripture. No, no, that's not. That's not of the Holy Spirit. That's not the actual biblical Holy Spirit gift of a word of knowledge. Nor is it some kind of special um, intelligence scoop, some special new scoop. No, that's not what it is at all. But it is um, a Holy Spirit given ability to teach the knowledge of God as revealed in the scripture. Okay. Verse 9. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. By the way, some of you, I don't know if you're looking at the clock, and you're looking where I am in the verses, you're thinking, well, I wonder if going to finish early. Well, I might for a change, but uh, actually I've got more stuff to say. So I have a bit of a digression to go on because it gets um, gets more complicated as we go. But uh, anyway, we'll see. Who knows? Maybe I'll actually finish early and you'll have time to go make a sandwich or something before church. I don't know that. But, but don't, don't, I don't want to get your saliva flowing too much because I'm, I'm afraid that's not too likely. But anyway, okay. To another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Okay, so faith. Now, this is not saving faith because this would be faith that's given to some and not to others, right? This would be a gift of the Spirit. And it says, you know, to one believer, faith is given by the same Holy Spirit. But to another believer, he gets gifts of healing, but not faith as the special gift of the Spirit. So this is not talking about saving faith. We read about that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that for salvation, uh, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, so that's not saving faith, not that faith, not uh, the faith by or through which all Christians walk. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. Now that's, that's not, again, this special kind of faith, this special gift of the Spirit, because then only some Christians could walk by faith, and the rest of Christians would have to walk by sight. And that wouldn't be good. No. We're walking, we all walk by faith. So that's not what it's talking about. And then it's not the faith by which 
the believers are kept. First Peter uh, 1.5 uh, refers to us as kept by the power of God through faith. Well, it's not that, right? Well, then only some people could be kept. But, um, of course, all, you know, the, the contrary of, of these things all, you know, obviously can't be true. Uh, so this is a special gift of faith by the Spirit. So what is it? Well, this is a special faith, and, and one of the uh, commentaries actually uh, said this is a special faith for undergoing hardships and martyrdom and things like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe someone else should get that gift, right? I mean, you might kind of think, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, you know, the will of the Lord be done. If that's what the Lord has for us, in all seriousness, that's, that's what we want. I, if that's his will for us. But, um, yeah, it's a special degree of faith. And I don't know what all things, but you could probably think, and, and we all can probably think, you know, what would be a special degree of faith, not, not faith that God can and will save me if I come to him in repentance and faith. And, uh, you know, the faith by which we walk um, and, uh, and, and are kept. But, but actually, um, this special faith, right? Okay. And then healing. So this would be miraculous healing, not by means of medicine, surgery, etc. Okay. Not by recommending that people take their vitamins, although you should take your vitamins. Definitely do take your vitamin D in these times. Very important in these times of the COVID-19 pandemic. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about miraculous healing, uh, where uh, a miracle, of course, is where God sets aside the normal laws of nature. Now, is God breaking the law of nature when he does a miracle? By the way, the sort of general thing about miracles, the answer is no, he's not. Uh, he's not breaking the laws of nature because what we are really talking about when we say a law of nature, what we're really talking about is the way God usually does it. But he doesn't have to do it that way. Okay, that's not to be confused with the moral law, which is a part of God's nature, is who God is, but as far as the laws of nature, the law of gravity and how your cells work and how your immune system works or, or whatever, or the, um, the way the planets and the sun and stars move through space and all the rest. Um, those are things that the, it's the way God usually does it. And he usually does it in a very consistent way in order to enable man to exercise dominion over God's creation by being it by humans being able through the processes of science to make predictions about natural things and to use natural things. But God doesn't have to do it that way all the time. And so on very rare occasions, God sets that aside and we call that a miracle. And this is talking about miraculous healing. So it doesn't mean, you know, a doctor is, oh, that doctor has a gift of healing. Well, it's probably not what we're talking about. I mean, he's a very good doctor and he really uh, knows. And, and of course, who gave him his natural gifts? God gave him his natural gifts. And maybe God gave him grace. If he's a Christian, maybe God gave him grace to develop those gifts and to make good use of them. And that's a wonderful thing for which we should thank God. But that's not miraculous healing what we're talking about here. Gifts of miraculous healing. This is where um, 
Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And the Lord Jesus comes in and takes her by the hand and raises her up. And she's better like that. Not on the road to recovery, not starting to feel better. She's better. Um, or where uh, Peter and John are entering the temple and there's that man who, the beggar, the lame man who was a beggar. They've been there for a long time. And uh, he um, wants... Um, you know, he's looking for an alms. And so they say, you know, Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And, and he does. You know, he takes him by the hand and, and he's immediately strengthened. That's a miraculous healing. And people could do that back then. Now, well, more on the miraculous per se in just a moment, but that's what we're talking about with gifts of healing. On to verse 10. Okay, uh, and to another, the effecting of miracles, not the affecting of miracles, the effecting, that is actually making it happen. Um, so I get to be a little bit of a grammar Nazi here for once and say how much it bothers me when my students write affecting when they mean effecting, but this is not affecting miracles. You might say that uh, Benny Hinn affects, uh, in this case, that would mean fake, uh, fakes miracles. No, no, this is the gift of actually effecting miracles, actually making them happen. And to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Okay, now, at some point here, I need to step aside a little bit, and talk about some background, and talk about an issue that bears on all of these things, but especially um, the last few uh, things, things like healing, miracles, prophecy, uh, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Um, and maybe some of you were wondering, when is Woodworth going to get to the issue of cessationism versus continuationism? And uh, is Woodworth a cessationist or a continuationist? Well, I'll tell you that in a minute. Now, when I say cessationist, I don't mean secessionist. That's, that's something entirely different. Okay, secessionist is someone who wants to separate from, uh, well, most recently in the case of the Civil War, it meant the United States. That's what it's right. We're not talking about that. We're talking about cessationism versus continuationism. So, yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about that. Um, cessationism versus continuationism. So, I tried my hand at a def definition of sorts here. A cessationist would teach that, insofar as miraculous divine gifts were given as signs to validate the ministry of the apostles and the authority of the scriptures, then, which were then in the process of being written, those gifts ceased, for the most part, when the canon of scripture became complete. You have 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Then a continuationist would teach that all of the miraculous gifts are, or should be, just as prevalent today as they were in New Testament times. Now, if you are a good test taker, if you are skillful at the taking of multiple choice tests, you should be able to see right away which one of those I am. Without uh, without even 
knowing what I believe or having, you know, listened to me talk for, you know, in Sunday school class or in our conversations before or after church or, or just looking at, uh, you know, which, which uh, churches I choose to attend versus which other churches I am not attending. Um, aside from all that, just those two should tell you. And why is that? Because in a multiple choice question, not always, because the professor might be wise to it, but uh, usually on a multiple choice question, the longest answer is the most likely to be the true one. And the reason for that is it takes more words to make a true statement than it does to make a false statement. It doesn't take long to falsify a statement. All it has to do is be false, right? But to be true, you have to carefully head off one possible misconception after another or possible misconstrual and so forth. So yeah, I would be, I would fall into the cessationist camp. Now, saying that, I would uh, point out, and, and you look at that, and it's long, and it has a lot of quiet, uh, it has a lot of qualifiers. You know, insofar as miraculous divine gifts were given as signs to validate the ministry of the apostles and the authority of the scriptures, which were then in the process of being given. Those gifts ceased for the most part when the canon of scripture became complete. Okay. So, uh, and I, I say that because I have never met, well, I have never been aware of meeting. Maybe I have met, but we didn't talk about spiritual gifts. Maybe some of you would be an absolute secessionist. Okay, just an absolute secessionist. Like absolutely all of the spiritual gifts listed here in 1 Corinthians 12 and any place else that talks about spiritual gifts. All of those gifts <clears throat> have totally ceased and can never happen until, you know, period. That's it. Never, ever. And uh, there may be people like that. I've never had a discussion with one of them about spiritual gifts. Everyone whom I have ever talked to or dealt with about spiritual gifts. This includes, by the way, John MacArthur. John MacArthur is but a prominent, um, outspoken cessationist. Yes, yeah, cessationist. And uh, he's got a book out about the tongues movement. And boy, you really got, he's very, very much of a cessationist, maybe more so than I am, maybe more unqualifiedly cessationist than I am. But even MacArthur is uh, still a, a little bit of a qualified cessationist. How, what do I mean qualified? What do I mean, you know, not total in uh, being a cessationist? Well, for example, uh, the gift of, does God still give uh, the gift of the word of wisdom uh, in the sense that I've described, or the gift of the word of knowledge in the sense that I just described? Well, I think so. And, uh, you know, discerning spirits, I think he still gives that gift. Um, so I think some of the gifts that I would see as not miraculous, miraculous. Well, I've already given a little bit of a definition of that. We define it another way as spiritual power overruling within the physical world. So I think that ways in which God ministers to our spirit and enables us through his spirit then to minister to the spirits of others, uh, I, I would see those as divine gifts that do not involve spiritual overruling 
uh, overruling of physical of the physical world of physical processes. You could be wrong about that, but that's how I would view that. So anyway, <clears throat> so there are there are gifts like that, and but then there are these miraculous divine gifts like healing, right? Like well, other miracles. What yeah, other miracles, right? And um, I would see these as miraculous divine gifts that were given as signs, or some people would call them sign gifts. They validated the ministry of the apostles. They validated our Lord's ministry, and he mentioned them as a validation of his ministry on a number of occasions, which is more difficult to say, uh, to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk. And then he told them to rise up and walk, that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. So, his raising the sick of the palsy was um, a sign gift. Okay. Uh, these um, were given during the time when the Bible was being written, the New Testament was being written. And can, I, can I inject a thought here? Beg pardon? Can I inject a thought here? Sure. Okay, um, just two two interesting things. One is with regard to tongues. Um, there were fourteen hundred years of church history where there was absolutely no speaking of tongues, and then it was kind of uh, resurrected by some people in Canada, and kind of started the modern tongues movement. So this is one of the reasons that I I kind of tend to agree, at least with the cessation of the group of tongues, as it was a sign gift. And there's a couple of things a lot of people don't realize. In in the scripture, the speaking of tongues uh, was a sign of judgment, not of blessing. Uh, so on the act of Pentecost, when we had the speaking of tongues, it was the Jews speaking in tongues and languages other people could hear uh, to as a sign of judgment to, to the fact that the majority of Jews had rejected Christ as well as the nations. And in the Old Testament, any time... Uh, basically, God uh, gave the Jewish people an ability to quickly adapt to the languages of the people to whom they had become subject because, you know, they were under judgment and they had been taken into captivity. So at no time was this ever really meant to be a, a blessing. It was more of a sign of judgment, which makes it odd that we would seek it. Um, but again, like I said, it, it died for about 1,400 years till it was kind of resurrected. And you can actually go to schools today to just learn how to speak in tongues. And I, I used to work with a pastor who had been in the Pentecostal movement, and he had been to one of those schools and learned how to do it. The other thing, though, in this passage, if you look very carefully, and it should be reflected in the English, uh, but with regards to the other gifts, it says the gift of tongues or the gift of interpretation. But with healing, it says gifts, plural, of healings, plural. They're both plural in the Greek, and they should be. Uh, plural in a good English translation. So something's a little different here. People like Benny Hinn that claim to have the gift of healing, that's not biblical. There is no such thing as the gift of healing. There are gifts of healings. So when we pray for someone to be healed, what we're asking for God to do is give them a gift of being healed. And it's a manifestation gift, which means they receive that gift as a result of someone else's ministry. So maybe you're praying over them, you're maybe you're anointing them with oil, maybe you're just interceding for them on a regular basis, and one day God heals them. 
then they would have received a gift of healing. But God gives gifts of healings today because people are still being healed in response to prayer. But no one has the gift of healing. And if you ever see someone that does, then they're ignoring the plain text of Scripture. He gives gifts of healings, and that means that, you know, when I was healed of fibromyalgia after eight and a half years walking on a cane, I received a gift of healing from the Lord. And, of course, part of that came from finding out, you know, the right way to live and how to change my diet to affect that. But, and I've seen other people heal too. And so, anyway, we're given gifts of healings, but just beware of people who claim to have the gift of healing. I just want to, that's, as you mentioned a minute ago, grammar can be pretty important. And here, the difference between singular and plural is everything. All right, thanks. Okay, thank you, Robert. Um, I th I do uh, there was a little bit of a technical um, issue, and I, I'm not sure where it, whether it was on my speakers, your mic, bandwidth, or something, but I, I was able to understand about 60% of what you said, and I like that. And if I, if I should uh, unwittingly happen to say something that contradicts something you said, um, I said that unwittingly because I couldn't understand the other, the other uh, 40%, so uh, forgive me for that if I should... Uh, should happen to say something else but anyway okay so um right i um i, I heard a uh, christian teacher a number of years ago say that he thought that the sign gifts uh, the miraculous gifts were uh, perhaps seen more on areas of the mission field where the availability of scripture was not as great either they didn't have the scriptures in their own language or uh, not so many of them were able to read it. And uh, so he suggested, and I thought this made some sense, but I couldn't prove it, but uh, he suggested that perhaps God gives sign gifts, miraculous gifts, uh, more frequently in areas where uh, people do not have the same blessing of availability of the scriptures that we have. And if you think that then the other people have an advantage over us, Remember, the Lord said that if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they would not believe even if one were raised from the dead. At any rate, um, okay. So, and, and then also, I think that uh, probably most cessationists, and maybe even MacArthur, I'm not sure about him, but most cessationists would allow that from time. You know, God is not uh, in a box. We don't have him locked up in a box someplace that he can't do anything he wants. He, he, of course, can do all of his holy will, and sometimes he still does do miracles. I uh, knew of um, <clears throat> an older uh, saint, now along with the Lord, who was a missionary to the Navajo, who on one occasion, and the Navajo language is extremely difficult, and on one occasion this person was actually, uh, I think miraculously, uh, given... Uh, the ability to speak uh, in Navajo for a, a very short time and a very special need, and then after that did not have that after, uh, afterwards. Had never had not learned it, just spoke it on that occasion. So I'm, these things can happen. I would make, uh, regarding healing, and I would make a difference between uh, providential healing and miraculous healing. And you don't have to. I would just uh, view this this way, that when God... Uh, causes our immune system to work to its best standard and God causes viruses to replicate more slowly than they otherwise would or whatever. God sort of puts his thumb on the scales of the natural world. I would view that as a providential healing. And I think that's 
most of what we've seen, and I've, I've seen that, where I believe God did intervene providentially to cause someone to be healed. But I haven't seen a case uh, personally. I haven't been personal witness to a case where a person was raised up in the way that the lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple was raised up by Peter. But I wouldn't tell you that God cannot do those things. He can. He just doesn't seem to do it very often nowadays. A continuationist, on the other hand, would teach that all of the miraculous gifts are or should be just as prevalent today as they were in New Testament times. Uh, continuationist, uh, continuationism would be widely found among uh, Pentecostals and other charismatic groups, the Assembly of God, and frankly, well, no, no offense to my dear brethren who are of that persuasion, but I think, I think that's error, and I think it opens the way to all other kinds of errors. One of the miraculous gifts, and I'm just going to contradict what I said a minute ago, but one of the miraculous gifts, or, or gifts at any rate, which uh, continuationists claim is still in operation is the gift of uh, prophecy uh, as the foretelling of future events. And um, you remember the film, The Trump Prophecy, and uh, amazing, stunning claims made in that film. And they were made regarding 2012. Well, more on that in just a moment. Let's go on to verse 10 and let me unpack some of this. Another, the effecting of miracles. So manifestations of divine power other than healing, because we already covered healing. So this is other miracles, raising the dead and so forth. And then prophecy can refer to foretelling the future or proclaiming God's message. Now, in this context, it probably refers to foretelling the future. The commentators are not unanimous in this, but the majority seem to come down on this side of, you know, good Bible-believing commentators come down on this side. And it makes sense with the context, because it's in here of healing, miracles, prophecy, and um, the miraculous foretelling of the future. And, and yes, there are people alive today. For example, I mentioned the Trump prophecies. And the guy says, you know, I prophesied that Donald Trump will be elected president in 2012. Donald Trump was not elected president in 2012. Was that man giving a prophecy from God. Now, the biblical answer is emphatically no, absolutely not. The Old Testament gives two tests for knowing a true prophet from a false one. One is if he tells you to turn against the Lord. He is a false prophet. Now, someone who's telling you to turn against God or turn against God's ways is a false prophet, even if he prophesies true things, even if he performs actual miracles. He tells you to turn against the Lord, it's a false prophet. And then the other uh, test of a true prophet is if his prediction about the future does not come true. He is a false prophet. Does not come true in, come true in every particular. So you make a prophecy about 2012 and it's not fulfilled in 2012, then that prophecy is not of God. Now, as it turns out, Donald Trump did become president in 2000 as a result of the election of 2016. That bit of that prophecy did come true, but not the year. Well, anyway, much good said about that. We need to move on because now I am running low on time. But anyway, I'm nearly done too. Um, another thing, the distinguishing of spirits. I 
somehow left this out of my PowerPoint, but the distinguishing of spirits. Again, in previous uh, guests, I've distinguished between the uh, degree of a thing that every believer either must have or should have, on the one hand, versus the degree of that thing that is given as a special gift of God. Now, every believer needs to have some degree of discernment. Here, I should say, should have some discernment, okay? Every believer does have faith, because if he didn't have faith, he wouldn't be a believer, right? Every believer should have some discernment, and oh my, my people perish for lack of knowledge. I am continually appalled at the gross lack of discernment. And if you want to be appalled, at the continually appalled, horrified, aghast at the gross lack of discernment of God's people, all we need to do is get a Facebook account and look on there. And yeah, I suppose get the right kind of friends, right? But my, the lack of discernment of people who think that someone is speaking for God. I just um, heard from a dear brother across the country today asserting that uh, someone is a Christian who is manifestly by his own testimony not a Christian. Uh, and oh, the discernment. Yes, every Christian needs to have, ought to have some discernment. But this is a special gift of discernment, uh, a, and apparently a spiritual discernment, not just having sense enough to look and with the help of the Holy Spirit, apply God's word to what people are doing and saying, is this person a Christian? No, he says he has never asked God to forgive his sins. So, therefore, he is not a Christian. And there are other ways, you know, from the scripture says, be not deceived. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators nor adulterers, and so on. It goes through a list. So that's biblical discernment. This is a special spiritual discernment that the Holy Spirit tells me whether a particular word, and I don't believe I have that gift. I don't claim that gift. But um, where this would be the Holy Spirit miraculously telling a person or, or, or by special spiritual revelation telling that person that a particular message is, is of God or is not. So distinguishing the spirits. Okay. And then various kinds of tongues. Ah, uh, yes. Well, much could be said about tongues. And uh, it can mean, the word tongue can mean an or, the organ found in your mouth, a thing that you use for talking, or it can mean languages. And here, I think it means actual foreign languages. Loads and loads can be said about tongues. And as we continue in 1 Corinthians, if the Lord wills, we'll have much more to say about that. But not today, because we're out of time. So thank you for your patience. Let's close with prayer. And, 